Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon, even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Ted May about the importance of executive presence and overcoming presentation panic. Ted May, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. We've been preparing for this episode for a long time, and it's great to finally uh, meet you and have the chance to chat with you in the pre-interview. Today, we're going to be talking about executive presence and overcoming presentation panic. And I have to admit, uh, these are both things I need to work on. Uh, And so I'm super excited, you know, selfishly, I'm excited to have this conversation, but hopefully it'll be super helpful to listeners as well. Ted is joining us from the Virginia area in South of Salt Lake City in Utah, And as we get started, I wanted to share Ted's bio with everybody. Ted May specializes in executive presence and presentation development. He's an affiliate faculty member in three master's degree programs at George Mason University's Graduate Business School, leads workshops on stage presence for executives at the Studio Acting Conservatory, and has corporate and individual clients as a consultant. He is the author of Presentation Panic, How to Deliver a Successful Business Presentation wonderful background. Anything else that you would like to add to your context or personal story before we dive on into the topic for today? Uh, Sure, that's uh, all correct. Thanks, John. What I'd like to begin with is a brief um, anecdote or or story that helps to describe how I came to be here today talking talking to you. I had a a 30, about a 30 year career as an executive in the media, entertainment and technology space, uh, senior executive, mostly in product development, uh, product strategy, business development, corporate strategy. And the tech company that I was working for uh, had engaged a local business school uh, whose name shall remain uh, anonymous uh, to come in as they so often do, you know, you invite a class on business strategy to come into your company do a review and then present the results as a, as a class project. And so they had engaged a company to do this. They came in, did their work, and then they needed an executive uh, to come in and sit in and view the results uh, that the team had come to the, to the uh, company to present. And so I had an hour to spare, you know, at lunch and they, they called me up and said, would you come in and do this? I said, sure. So I went in, I've had plenty of interns, uh, you know, MBA interns before working for me. So it's It was all very familiar. But that day, for whatever reason, when I sat and watched the presentation, I was uh, somewhere between uh, shocked and appalled by what I was was witnessing. 
because these were, uh, you know, obviously capable, well-intentioned, earnest students who had done, you know, pretty much what you would expect, you know, in terms of the uh, analysis. It was all correct, but standing up and making about every uh, mistake you can imagine in their presentation to undermine all the good work that they had done. And I just thought, how can this be? Here's an MBA program sending students out into the world, you know, representing the school and their educational curriculum and letting them just make all these uh, obvious and really devastating mistakes. And at the time I thought, you know what? I should just invite them to, I said, look, if you can hang around for half an hour after this presentation, just give me half an hour. I could help you so much to correct just a lot of basic things you're doing wrong. I didn't do that, I regretted it, but I immediately called HR after the meeting and I said, you know what, get me a room, order lunch, send out an invite to everybody in the company and say, I'm gonna run a workshop on how to deliver a killer business presentation. And 50 people signed up for, the, <laughs> for that opportunity. And the lunch wasn't that good. So it was actually the, uh, the topic that I was overwhelmed by what a need there was and what a hunger there was for this, and I went on to do this, uh, you know, a couple of times in the company for different divisions, sales, all different functions. And then, uh, as I came out of that, I thought this is a really broad need in the industry that isn't being addressed. Somehow, we're missing it, and we're, you know, whiffing uh, on the pitch here, and not really uh, doing a good job of preparing not just business students, but our own uh, managers in the companies that we work for to uh, fulfill on what's essentially, you know, uh, one of the most important skills you can have in business, which is the ability to stand up in front of your peers or your uh, colleagues or senior management or the investment community or the board of directors, or whatever, and, and tell them what it is you're doing um, and giving them your analysis and your recommendations. And so I thought, why is this? Why is this something that we've been doing for thousands of years in business, but we're so bad at it? How can that be, you know, after thousands of years of delivering uh -huh. business presentations every day, every week? Why is it we're still so bad? So that got me thinking. And I dug deep back into my own experience, which began in the performing arts um, in New York City. I was a professional actor for several years before uh, going to business school and jumping over to the uh, business side, initially the entertainment industry with uh, CBS Television Network. And I, I thought back and I that there's a whole body of knowledge in the performing arts and that governs the rules of live performance that we're not incorporating into our thinking and our training on the business side that would be enormously valuable and really help a lot of people um, you know, in, in the industry. And I'll, I'll close with just the comment I get most often from those that I work with, whether they're business students or whether they're executives in companies and training programs, the comment I hear most often is, boy, I wish someone had told me this 20 years ago. And, and that really resonates. And I go, well, why didn't somebody tell you this 20 years ago? What is it that we're missing that we're not doing here? So that's how I started. First with presentation skills, principles of live performance as they uh, relate to the business presentation. And that led me into this whole idea of executive presence and the importance of what it means to be present as an executive in a, in a company and optimize your influence and your effectiveness as an executive. Yeah, so I love a, that. That's a lot of a download, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, thank you for that background and that context. Uh, and I, I'm thinking about this this NBA team that came into your business and you sat through their presentation. I mean, the way you were describing it, it sounds like content-wise, 
they were great. Like they, they covered their bases. They did everything they needed to. They had good content. They had good analysis, but they just really botched the presentation side. So whatever message they were trying to convey was undermined by presentation faux pas and, and other mistakes that just undermine their credibility. And ultimately people in the, in the audience weren't able to receive, you know, the good work that they had done. That's what I'm hearing. Is that accurate? That is exactly right. And you're, uh, there's such simple things at the end of the day that can really help you and help you uh, be successful and make your presentation be successful. But if you don't know what those are, yeah. you are severely disadvantaged. Yeah, I, I was reflecting back to when I was going through my master's program. And as I think back, even at the time, I thought there were two classes out of all the classes I took, there were two that were really the most important and impactful. This was, you know, close to 20 years ago. And even now, as I reflect on it, I'm thinking the two were, one was like basically a data analytics class, hugely important. The other one was a business writing and presentations class. <laughs> Just how do you communicate effectively through the written word, uh, through oral presentations and a variety of different types of presentations um, now I am not like, I'm an introvert. I'm not like a flamboyant outgoing kind of a person. So I've never considered myself to be like a tremendous presenter, but you know, I've worked really hard over the years to try to improve my presentation skills to get to the point where I'm competent. <laughs> I, I may never be the most dynamic speaker in the world, but right. I think I'm pretty effective overall. And, and I've worked hard at that. And to your point, that's something everyone needs to focus on. Otherwise, it's going to be derailer to your career. You, you can yeah. be the smartest person in the room, but if you can't communicate it effectively, uh, it's all going to be lost. Yep. And there are a couple of big ideas in what you just said. One, I think, begins with the business school curriculum has tended to focus, not exclusively, but heavily weighted towards decision-making skills, teaching us how to make good decisions using data analytics, you know, data-based, uh, information-based, uh, logic-based decision-making. But decisions don't implement themselves. The second half is implementation, right? We need decision-making skills and we need implementation. As soon as you cross over- Which comes through influence, right? Yes, yeah. Our engagement, you know, with others in the workplace because business is still, you know, a human enterprise and it's a team sport and, you know, we have to- uh, uh, learn how to engage audiences, what I, what I say, reach on audience, transform their thinking, change the way they think about something. And third, move them to action to get the desired response, not just the reaction, but the desired response, you know, that we want from an audience. And how you do that is something that in business schools, we've tended not to focus on. Maybe there's an A class, but it's certainly not 50% of the, of the, um, of the curriculum. The second thing that's interesting, I think, is that we tend to think of it as an individual problem. Like, ooh, that person's not very good at presentations. You know, they should go and get help. Something that they should do on their own. We don't recognize it as an organizational problem. Because what I like to say is the people who suffer the most in a bad presentation are not the presenter, you know, who's fumbling around and scrambling around. It's the audience. People, you know, the 20, 30 people in an audience we're giving up an hour of their lives to sit and listen to a bad presentation. And that can cost a company real money. You know, it's the Groundhog Day effect of having the same meeting over and over again. You know, you're sitting there going, wait a minute, we've already done this. We've already talked about this and decided it. 
but the meeting was so badly run and the presentation was so poor that it you know did not yield the results that we wanted so we go back and do it again and again and that can cause you know i the calculations i've done conservatively and modestly like a, a 500 company uh 500 person company or division that can really if you add up executive time the cost of executive time for that can cost a million dollars a year easily off the bottom line that's you know right off the bottom line of, of just wasted time if time is money and so that is something that the companies should be thinking more about addressing uh, as an organization, not just leaving it up to the individual. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, when, when professionals will say, I wish someone would have told me this 20 years ago. Well, there's a couple of things. One, they may have heard it 20 years ago, but they weren't fully engaged and listening and paying attention or in maybe connected with that is they may have been taught it 20 years ago, but the presentation was so bad, they <laughs> didn't sink in. <laughs> yeah, right, right. That uh, could very well, that could very well be. <laughs> Any, anyways, I, you know, I think this really feeds in, we've all sat through horrible presentations, horrible trainings, yeah. and terrible meetings, right? And yeah. When we talk about presentations, I think sometimes people think that's a formal like TED talk kind of a presentation, or it's a formal, you have a PowerPoint, you're up in front and you're doing a pitch. Uh, Certainly those are presentations, but running a meeting effectively, um, just having conversations with people in an effective way in those meetings, uh, doing training sessions, like all these are presentations, right? And we need to learn how to do them better. So we're not wasting people's time. So we can actually help people get the information that they need to make good decisions. And so that people can actually develop skills and and capabilities. And if if we're not effective in any of the presentation uh, efforts that we're making, to your point, it's an organization problem, you're going to be wasting tons of time, tons of resources, uh, people aren't going to be as effective. They're not going to be as productive on and on and on. And they're not as satisfied, you know, well satisfied with their job, with their career. Uh, they don't have a feeling of agency, you know, in, in what they do. They can feel like they're just uh, victimized by a, a hierarchical, you know, organization where they're just, uh, you know, given marching orders and they see their jobs as task lists, you know, to do lists more than active engagement and a kind of bring a creative energy, you know, to their, to their jobs. And that's what leads us into this whole idea of executive presence, what it means to be present as an executive, not just present in mind, but physically present in the workplace. And so what I say there is, you know, what we're really trying to figure out is how we write, how we speak, and how we occupy space, physical space and virtual space, in a way that we use space as a medium to maximize the influence we have and lead people not just to be good decision makers, but to be implementers of those decisions, to see roles for themselves and to eagerly adopt and play those roles and carry. I've seen many strategies fail, business strategies fail, not because they're bad strategies. They fail at implementation. They fail at execution because we just assume that, okay, there's the decision, go make it happen, make it magically happen. And we don't translate that into a real opportunity for audience engagement and again, to invite them to play a role in the organization. Yeah. And that begins with understanding what our role is. What is the role? Yeah. Ownership and buy-in yep. is essential for implementation, especially for large scale change. Uh, anything that's going to take, you know, a long time, you have to just have across the board buy-in um, and connection to the decision that's been made. And, and I think that's where so many leaders uh, fail, fail. Uh, yeah. in, in their effectiveness. Now, uh, 
we, you just started to segue into executive presence and that's yeah. really a hugely important topic. And maybe to just start it off, uh, I wanted to share my very first thought as I was preparing for this episode and I, I was looking over materials you'd sent me in preparation. Um, you know, my very first thought is, you know, when I've worked with executive clients um, in coaching or uh, in, in some board meetings I've been a part of where executive presences come up. And so my, my initial like gut reaction bias is to say, oh, the discussion around executive presence um, sometimes in my experience has gone off the rails a bit. So let me explain where that's coming from in my, in some yeah. of my experience. And you can, yeah. you can kind of correct the, what you mean by executive presence, because what you've already said seems to be quite different from what I've heard and how it's been brought up in context before. Check out my new book, The Future Leader, Creating and Transforming Next-Gen Organizations. Stemming from two decades of professional experience and over 600 in-depth interviews with executives, thought leaders, and scholars from across the globe, The Future Leader will help you explore the ordinary, everyday actions that will help you to prepare to lead in the future of work, to respond to an uncertain future, and to produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Academy. Courses, micro-credentials, and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. All HCI Academy courses, micro-credentials, and certificates are designed, developed, and delivered by award-winning and internationally renowned scholars, educators, thought leaders, executives, and practitioners. Our courses, micro-credentials, and certificates will help you make your mark on the future of work and make an immediate impact in your organizations check out the HCI Academy and our many course offerings and certificates to upskill and reskill for the future of work. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. First of all, you, you said executive presence is how we uh, are in space and how we use that space um, as a leader. I think that's that's absolutely right. That's hugely important. You also talked about being present in the moment with the people you are interacting with. I think that's hugely important. What I've heard um, when I've worked with executives or, and I remember one particular time I was, I was on a board of directors. And so I was in this meeting and we were having a conversation around the CEO. Uh, and there was, there was question about the strategy and question about the implementation and, and honest discussion about, is this person the right person uh, moving forward? And, and it ended up the conversation ended up moving into executive presence. And, and frankly, I, I was a little bit uncomfortable with the way it was going because um, the, this, this particular CEO, yeah, strengths, weaknesses, there were good things, bad things. Um, in my mind, there were plenty of things we could talk about that were more important and impactful on their ability to be successful 
than kind of this this narrow view of executive presence as it was being expressed. And in the minds of many people on the board, they were saying this person isn't outgoing enough. This person um, doesn't exude enough um, confidence. This person um, isn't charismatic enough. This person, uh, you know, on and on those those types of things. And I'm thinking, well, there's all sorts of different leadership styles and approaches and you know, the, the great man theory of leadership, where you have to be like this tall, uh, you know, powerful looking man, uh, that's been long debunked, right? That that's silly. And, 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 and so those sorts of things in some people's minds, when they think of executive presence, that's, that's what they think of. And in my mind that, that holds no water. So correct my understanding, or perhaps the the conversation that was happening in this boardroom on this particular day and what, and how that differs from perhaps your, your conception of executive presence and why it's important. Sure. The um, admonition I always begin with is there's no right way or correct way to write, speak and occupy space, you know, move, move in space. There's only the optimal way for you to do it to maximize your influence, you know, using the tools and skills and talents that you have, that you're often strangling and, you know, or suppressing and not not using. So part of it is uh, making someone aware and opening up for them an understanding, and most importantly, an experience of what they could be doing that they're not doing that they're either taking for granted or they don't think it's that important or they um, have never been invited to do that. They don't know how far they can push the envelope, you know, or where, and things that seem really risky and scary to them, it's because they've never done it before. It's like riding a bike the first time, right? But once you know how to ride a bike, it's liberating, you know, and you can go and, you know, way, way far beyond. So the kinds of things that you describe too are very superficial, you know, sort of the outward shows and not really addressing what's coming from inside the individual, you know, what their orientation is, what their um, motivation is, you know, what their objectives are. And those are things that help define us in physical space, that if we're not connected with those or using those, you know, effectively, um, we're at sea in, in real space. You know, it's like, what is what are we doing? And what you find out is most people don't know what they're doing. They don't have a notion of what it is I'm supposed to be doing at this moment, except in a very superficial way. If you look at a lot of the academic research uh, that's been done on uh, charisma, you know, in particular, which is one of my favorite topics, it's all very much like, well, charismatic people move their hands when they speak. They have, you know, musicality and their voice changes pitch and up, up and, you know, up and down. And they speak with emphasis on certain words. And if you do all those things, you start looking like a Walt Disney World, you know, uh, ato- you know, automaton. They have really have nothing to do with charisma. You know, just because my voice is going up and down and I'm using gestures and I'm smiling and th- doesn't mean I'm charismatic at all. And so what I've spent a lot of time thinking about is, you know, they're very simple formulas in my mind that uh, help people think about what is presence? What is stage presence? And if I were to ask you that question, just, you know, put you on the spot, what is stage presence? What would you say? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, being fully aware of your surroundings uh, and your positionality within those surroundings and your relationship to others, um, you know, on stage with you, uh, that's what first comes to mind. 
Good. So that's good. And the, just the fact that you had to hesitate for a minute and think about it is indicative, you know, that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. Or those people who seem to have it naturally, um, you know, we assume that, oh, it's just something you're born with, and you either have it or you don't, you know, instead of, no, this is actually something that you can, you can do and you can, you can improve. And then also the wide, you know, when I graph the answers that I get to the surveys that I do on these questions, you know, they are all over the place, you know, in terms of people's, people's answers. So if you talk about presence for a second, stage presence in, in particular, the, you know, what I recommend is you hit it on the nail in your first uh, part of your answer, which is position. Your position in the room, where are you positioned, you know, in the space that you occupy? So right now we're on camera, right? What is our position in the camera? And so many people, you know, when, when they're, you know, in a online space or doing, their positions, you know, are all over, all over the place. And so what does front and center mean, you know, in whatever downstage, you know, front and center? What does that mean? The second is orientation. Where is your orientation? So I'm well positioned, but if my orientation is, you know, down here or over here, or I'm just looking, you know, over here, your orientation always has to be to the audience. You know, whoever your audience is, wherever your audience is, the orientation, your, your, um, your eyes, you know, where you're looking, your voice is really targeted in, you know, one particular direction. And the third is charisma is bring a little charisma. So if I would then ask you the same question, what's charisma? You know, what is, what is charisma? Yeah. And that's also a good question. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a matter of being authentic and, and how, having how a measure. How are, how do you be authentic? How do you be authentic? Um, well, so when you were describing the automaton thing a minute ago, uh, I, I was actually thinking, I, I was actually going back in time to this presentations class I did in my master's program two decades ago. And there was, I remember one presentation because it was just so robotic um, that the, the person who, you know, bless his soul was trying really, really hard <laughs> to implement all the things that we were being taught. Um, but it was super robotic to the point where like he literally had like timed out when he was moving his hands and like when he took steps and turned to different parts of the audience, yeah. Yeah. you know, and it was so fake, right, that it was just off-putting and everyone was uncomfortable. And so when when I say authentic, I guess the first thing I think of is, you know, if I'm the type of person that's super flamboyant and always talking like this with my hands, then okay, then talk with your hands like that. But if that's not how I normally am, um, I don't need to try to be that flamboyant, right? I can do, I can do measured movements <laughs> yeah. and I can do things that will add a, you know, emphasis and attention to what I'm trying to, to get across, but without having to, you know, play some fake role that likely yeah. won't be able to sustain. So that, that's kind of what comes to mind for me. So, so all, all of that is good and, and good, uh, good thinking and good experience. If you also, if you look out at all the literature, you know, and all the online articles that are published and everything, what I call the top 10 tips, you know, all these things, they're always filled with things like be empathetic, you know, be authentic, be, you know, engage your audience. And so where I pick all that up is, okay, how do you do that? You know, what does that mean? How do you translate that into actual skills that people can do to help to put them in touch with those kinds of experiences that you're trying to, uh, that you're trying to do? And to your point, it's not always just a scripted, you know, now do this, make this gesture, smile here, you know, uh, do that. 
it's a much deeper and more you know profound motivation of who am I, what do I want, you know, for this audience or for this organization or you know, and then why is that a good thing? Knowing why what I want is a good thing, not just for me personally, for my career, but why it's a good thing for everybody in the audience. And so if you begin much deeper, you know, with an understanding of who I am, who am I? Why am I here? What brings me here? Why should you listen to me? Why should you spend any of your time, valuable time listening to me? What is it that I want to do, you know, that I would like to see happen and why that's a good thing? That is that kind of a core beginning is very different from like, well, here's my to-do list and here's my, you know, here's what the, the takeaway is from the end of the meeting and here's what, and a very, you know, uh, sort of functional uh, into much more of an experience that is ultimately much more productive and engaging for everybody, everybody involved in the, in the, in the process. Yeah. Or in yeah, the and experience is the way, the way I really, really say it. Presentation anxiety is a big part yeah. of presence, right? Sure. And, and I've, I, and most people have some level of anxiety around yeah, presenting about 70% of people. Yeah. And those who don't should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's healthy to have a certain level yeah. of just a little no, bit of stress exactly. and anxiety and, but you get yeah. settled in and there's, there's techniques to, to, to deal with that. Um, but one thing I, I, I try to remind myself anytime I'm doing some high profile presentation or high stakes meeting or something like that Um you know, I want to be effective. I, I try to be prepared and, and, and everything. But I also try to remind myself, especially if I'm up in front of a big crowd, like, what's my goal? And you kind of hit on this a minute ago. What's my goal? It, this isn't really about me. And if, if it's about me, yeah. there's going to be a problem, right? Yep. But if it's not, if I recognize it's not about me, it's about them. And it's about yeah. helping them to receive whatever, I, you know, I'm trying. That's, well, that's, that will help me be more genuine and authentic. That will help me be more strategic and purposeful in a way that will ultimately have a higher chance of resonating with the audience, whatever that dynamic might be. Absolutely. It's not that I love that when you, that you said that without prompting, it's not about you at the end of the day, right? It's not about you. It's about your message. It's about the important information that you have for your audience, information that they need in order to do their jobs and do their jobs better. And you have one job as the messenger is to deliver that, that message to it. And not be constantly thinking about measuring yourself against some right. artificial and superficial, you know, measure of success. The, the measures for success in a presentation in particular are very much like advertising. There, are you making a strong impression? Number one, you know, are you, or are you just so small and so, you know, understated in your presentation? Are you making a, are you making an impression? Reach, are you reaching everybody in the audience? Everybody in the audience? and mm -hmm. frequency, right? We need to hear things more than once in order to, you know, if you want retention, if you want the audience to remember what you said, you have to make the point more than once. So strong impression, reach and frequency. And if you can come off the stage and go, okay, I did that, right? I made, a, I made loud and clear as I could possible. I reached everybody in the audience and I delivered the key points more than once or twice. You've done, as much as you can do, right? You did your you did your job, and then you uh, you know do it yep. again if you need to. But otherwise, but let me let me before we run out of time, let me just get back to the idea of presence, for example, and think about it this way: Executives think that they have an open door policy, right? I'm available. My door is always open. I'm that that's their uh, idea of being available and present in the workplace. 
But their idea of an open door policy is one way. People come into my office you know, and I will talk to them and that's it. Executive presence begins with flipping that around. It's the minute you walk out of your office, out your door into the workplace and are seen, are heard, you know, being listening to other people, engaging with other people, sharing space and experiences with other people. That's where executive presence begins outside the office, not inside the office and just say, well, my door is always open to the person who's brave enough to walk, you know, <laughs> to walk in to my office and maybe grab a couple of seconds with, you know, with me. So yeah. what I'm, again, where I pick it up is when you walk out the door of your office onto the floor, you know, whether it's a shop floor or wherever, wherever you're going, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're physically that you need to do in order to be seen, to be heard? you know, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, to be valued as a leader, you know, as an executive in physical space, because we think about, you know, being present in the moment. I want people to be physically present. Okay, the last thing I want to touch on is authenticity that you brought up, because what I would like to help executives find is um, their role as a professional and what it means to be authentically professional. And to have that be a part of the authentic you. In modern culture, we make a false equivalency between authenticity and the casual. You know, in this idea that the more casual and relaxed we are, the more authentic we are. And my, you know, pitch is, but that's not our role as executives, as, you know, bias for action, getting things done. And there is a sense of what it is you do as a professional and that you're called to do as a professional in any workplace that can be every bit as authentic and every bit as authentically you, you know, if you're doing it the way you do it and, you know, do it uh, the best way that you can, that has nothing to do with being relaxed and casual and, you know, uh, laid back and all of those things that we think somehow we're being more casual yeah. You know, the more sort of vague and relaxed and, you know, imprecise than we are. So what I'm trying to do is help help executives, especially early career and mid-career executives who are trying to move up, you know, and get, get closer to the C-suite, um, help them sharpen, you know, what, yeah. what it is they do and realize that they have skills available to them um, and things that they can do and have the experience of what it means to be that way. And that's what they go like, oh my God, you know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that is, that feels so good. <laughs> you know, why can't I, why can't I do that more? So that's what, that's what we're all yeah. about. Wonderful, Ted. This has just been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time and for all of your wisdom and insights. I note the time and I'm going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and oh, find sure. out more about your work. Yeah, so like everyone else, I do have a book called Presentation Panic, How to Deliver a Successful Business Presentation. It's not public speaking. It's not, you know, wedding toasts. And it's like business, relentlessly focused on business. It's on Amazon. Uh, you know, check it out. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. You know, I'd be happy uh, to have you uh, uh, come up to speed on some of the workshops that I run uh, on stage presence for executives. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I serve corporate clients. So find me on, find me on LinkedIn and, uh, and reached out. And I publish articles uh, through Forbes, um, Coaches Council on uh, executive presence. And I've, I've published a lot of articles on CIO.com as well, Chief Information Officer uh, Magazine for, because I love the tech space and I love working yeah. with um, uh, technologists. Perfect. Thank yeah. you, Ted. It has been a oh, real pleasure. You. 
I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Ted can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations podcast? Please subscribe, leave a review, comment, share, and consider supporting the podcast on Patreon even at the producer and sponsorship levels. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.